morning. Just excuse me as I get my water. What an incredible time we've had together uh, this morning. Welcome if you're joining us online. Um, I've felt really moved by the time of our worship and what we've been singing and the themes that have come across. And uh, this morning we're beginning a series that... Um, looks at the coming of Jesus and why we celebrate uh, Christmas. We've titled it Son of Abraham, Son of David, Son of God. And this comes from the opening verses of the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. The, the Gospel of Matthew begins by saying this is the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, Son of God. And the Gospel of Mark begins by saying this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And uh, we want to look at why did Matthew and Mark think to begin their stories that they thought were relevant for the whole world with those lines. What was the significance to the original audience that they were speaking to? And, and why is this significant to us today? How can it shape our thinking and understanding as we approach Christmas? And I had a message prepared for that uh, going through the first verses of Matthew. But as we were singing and worshipping, I really felt that God wanted to bring something different to what I had prepared for us this morning. And so if you have your Bible, and I'm telling you that because it means the slides that I prepared are now irrelevant. And so if you have your Bible, please could you open with me. To Genesis chapter 22. We're still looking at the theme of son of Abraham, but I want us to get a deeper understanding. And by deeper, I'm not saying that I want to bring some new revelation, but I want us to look closely at how the story brings out the heart of God for you and I. How does this story relate to how we sing about God being a good, good father? How does this story relate when we sing about Emmanuel bringing the blessings of God? How can this story relate to us in this time of Christmas? And before we get into the story, please would you just allow me to pray? Dear God, we know you are called by the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's incredible that we today can call you Father. We once were not a people. We once had not received mercy. But now we are the people. Now we have received mercy. And behold, what incredible love you have given to us, that we should be called your children. Lord, we are struck by the enormity of your love. And we sing to you be the glory. Great things you have done. We can't describe them. It's unsearchable. Your ways are beyond finding out. The depths of your love cannot be plumbed. And so, Lord, this morning I invite you. Would you do what only you can do? Would you pour out your love in the hearts of those who hear? Would you reveal yourself as that good, good Father? Would you extend your hands in invite and welcome to those who feel excluded. Lord, would you grip our hearts? We, we, we don't just get information in our heads. We don't want to tick a box on a Sunday. We want to meet with you. We want to be transformed. 
that only your love can transform our hearts. And so, Lord, I invite you to come in great power. Amen. Now, as we jump into the story, we're at an incredible part of the human story. If you've tracked with the book of Genesis, it, it begins with God creating everything, and the crown of his creation is humankind. But quickly, we see humankind falling from that lofty position that God has placed them. And this is the story of Adam and Eve. And then from the line of Adam and Eve, we see a child being raised, Seth, beginning to worship the Lord. But when we feel we've got hope, our hope is quickly crushed. We come into Genesis chapter 5, where there's, there's one dim light of Enoch who walked with the Lord, but otherwise the story is of the rule of death. They lived and they died. Then coming out of that story, we come into Genesis chapter 6 that speaks of how all the intents and the thoughts of humankind was only evil continually. And God was hurt within himself. I said, I, I regret making humankind. And so he brought a flood. But there was one man and his family who were preserved, Noah. But even he and his descendants soon failed. We see this in Genesis chapter 11 where all of humankind is united in rebellion against God, building a tower saying, we want to make a great name for ourselves. We want to be like God. We want to get to God. And God coming down and saying, what are you doing? I've given you the mandate to, to fill the earth and subdue it. Yet here you are united in rebellion. And God in his grace limits mankind's rebellion, giving them different languages that cause them to spread throughout the earth. And if, if that was all we had in the story of scripture, in the story of humankind, then man would be completely lost, completely hopeless. I don't know what you think being lost and hopeless is. Is it looking at your M-Pesa balance and seeing zero, zero? Or maybe going to your Fuliza and thinking, man, I, I need to cancel, cancel this line and get a new one because this debt, I'm tired of it. Or, or is it your marriage? Looking at your spouse and thinking, man, as the title of the movie goes, why? Why did I get married? What, what, what happened? Was I high? What, what happened to get me in this situation? Or, or is it considering your kids and, and looking at the direction their lives are taking? Or is it looking at your job and thinking, man, I feel like I'm stuck in a dead-end job? Or, or you feel like if even I just had a job. But actually, Scripture shows us what being completely lost and hopeless is is God leaving mankind to their own devices. If God were to harden your heart and just let you go your own way in your own rebellion to fulfill every desire, every, every, every whim, everything that you want to do, that is the picture of hopelessness. Hell, being left alone by God. But the good news is that God didn't leave mankind alone. And this is how we get into the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to this man who came from an idol-worshipping family, community. They worship the moon in Ur of the Chaldees, now modern-day Iraq. And he speaks to him. He says, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And, and he gives them promises. God doesn't start by coming and, and giving him commands. 
And, and you might be here and you think, well, Christianity is about fulfilling the commands of the Lord. No, no, no. Christianity is about responding to the promises of God. And Abraham, he's, he's an old man, but he, he doesn't have kids. And God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. What they had been trying to achieve in Babel through their own power, where they wanted to make a great name for themselves, God said, no, Abraham. I will make, give you a great name. You see, sometimes we feel like we, we can do things for ourselves. We can achieve. We can, we can elevate ourselves. That fulfilling and pursuing our desires is the route for us to, to get ultimate fulfillment. And yet what we see in the life of Abraham is that only God can fulfill. Only God can fulfill you ultimately because he knows you even better than yourselves. And so what we try and strive for and grasp and, and, and step over other people for, God says, no, Abraham, I will give that to you by my grace. I will make your name great. And while hasn't that been fulfilled in our day? If you look at three of the great faiths of our time, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, more than half the global population all saying Abraham is our father. You see, when, when God makes a promise, he fulfills it. And so Abraham is promised to be made into a great nation. He's promised to, to get a multitude of descendants. He, God promises him a land. He says, go where I'm going to show you. And then the, the crown of that promise is that through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And through you and your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so Abraham leaves his home together with some of his family. He settles in a place called Haran. Then his dad passes away and then he moves on into the land of Canaan with his nephew Lot. And throughout that time, God continues to appear to him and reinforce and strengthen these promises. So we come into Genesis 15. And Abraham says, God, what, are, what good are all these promises that you have made to me when I, when I don't have a descendant, when someone who is a servant in my household is going to inherit everything that I have? And God says, no, no, I will give you a child. One of your own descendants will inherit and God made a covenant with him. And this was a one-sided covenant, if you were. God himself is the one who, who put his name on it and said, I will fulfill my word to you. And then as you move into Abraham's story, some years later, still, he's without a child. And then God appears to him again in Genesis chapter 17. And then he makes this new, not a new covenant, but adds to it this aspect of circumcision. And in between then, Abraham's had a, a child, but not with his wife, but with a slave. And he's thinking, is this the way that God will fulfill his promises? Will it be through the works, and my own efforts, God says, no. It's through my promises. Your wife is going to have a child. And he changes his name from Abraham to Abraham, from exalted father to father of many nations. And he changes his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. And then in Genesis chapter 18, God appears again by the oaks of Mamre. And speaks to Abraham. He has a meal with him. And then he, he says these wonderful words. This time next year, your wife will have a child. And she laughed. And God says, oh, by the way, he will be called Isaac, which means he laughs. This child, you might have laughed in, in irony, in, in unbelief. But this child will bring joy. He will bring laughter 
He will bring transformation to the human condition. And finally, 25 years later, from when Abraham first received his promises from God, his hundreds, at that time his wife is 90 years old, they have a miraculous baby, a child of promise, completely impossible to have happened through human effort. And Isaac is born. And now we're going to jump into the story a few years later. We don't know how old Isaac is. Maybe he's a little boy. Maybe he's a teen. And then God comes and says something startling, something completely unexpected to Abraham. And this is where we get into the text. Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to mark these words that God is not speaking from a place of being omniscient, that he knows that Abraham loves his son because he knows all things. God is speaking as a father himself. God is speaking as one who's been a father for all eternity in loving union and communion with his own beloved son, his own son who is perfect in him whom he delights. And he says, Abraham, I, I know what it's like to be a father. I know what it's like to, to have a son whom you delight in. I, I, I know what it's like to have a son whom you love. But I want you to take that son. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And realize that from Hebrew thought, you're getting to know God. What they knew of God was through revelation of who God was. And here you're wondering, well, is, is he like one of the other gods of the nations? Is, is he like, like Moloch or, or, or Chermosh who need human sacrifice? There's incredible suspense. Not only is there incredible suspense, but there's almost a suspension of hope. He was the promise-giving God. He, he's the promise-fulfilling God. But he, is he now the promise-killing God? Does he, does he raise up our hopes so that he can dash them? Is he, is he sadistic? So these are the questions that we have as we read this. But it seems Abraham didn't have these same questions because he arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And the story doesn't say anything about him talking to his wife about this. I think that, that would have made for an interesting conversation. It would have made for some drama. But I think Abraham just was wise and thought, let me just keep this one to myself. Then he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. That must have been the longest journey of Abraham's life. I mean, he had walked from Iraq to Israel, and this is only within the confines of, of Israel, but it must have been the longest journey of Abraham's life. He was hoping that day wouldn't arrive. And maybe you were hoping you wouldn't get that news. Those test results wouldn't come out. And Abraham saw from afar. His heart must have been incredibly broken. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And 
Bible scholars will say that's the first appearance of this word worship. When we see Abraham obeying God, even to the breaking of his own heart. And took in his hand the fire and the knife. They had to bring the fire because they didn't have lighters. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Dad. It's like, here I am, my son. Here I am, my boy. Here I am, bud. I don't know how you call your son, how you call your dad, what words of endearment. There's incredible intimacy and closeness between them. And Isaac is a, he's a forward-thinking boy. You'd want him on your admin team. You'd want him running ops and logistics. He's like, Dad, I've, I've, been, you know, I've been thinking about this for the last three days since you said, let's leave home and make the sacrifice. It's not adding up. We've got the fire. We've got the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And you might imagine Abraham making a joke. Why didn't you ask before we left? Now we have to go all the way back. But Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. This last part of the journey it couldn't be shared by anyone else. It was just between father and son. There was an intimacy that no one else could know about. The pain of a dad knowing that he was going to sacrifice his own son. There's, a, there's depths into the heart of Abraham that only God could see. Then when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And now this is incredible because we're wondering, how did that happen? How did Abraham grab the boy? Or if he's a, he's a young teen, did he resist? It doesn't speak of him asking any questions. Did Isaac, now we are left wondering about Isaac. What is going through Isaac's mind? It's like, Dad, what's going on? Why are you grabbing a hold of my hands? Why are you tying me up? Is this why we didn't bring a lamb? And yet Isaac amazingly doesn't resist. I wonder if it was you and your dad. You know that it's about to go down. And like, dad has lost his mind. This is it's, it's not a time for passivity. This, this is not a time to play with your life. I've seen the wood, I've seen the knife, but definitely I'm not the sacrifice today. That's what I can, I can outrun. This man is a hundred and something years old. Like there's no way he's going to beat me in a foot race. Like dad, okay, I just need to relieve myself and I'd appreciate some privacy. But Isaac is silent as a lamb to the slaughter, as one who gives himself, who gives his life in obedience and willingness to his father. And so Abraham put him on the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And I'm sure by this moment, the tears are streaming down Abraham's cheeks. 
this is the son whom he loves and is about to sacrifice him. He's had three days to ponder on it, but he's got a greater commitment to God. And as Abraham is reaching out for the knife, we hear the angel of Yahweh calling to him from heaven and saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. It must have been incredible relief. You can imagine the different emotions. He's going from, from, from a terrible grief, pain, unspeakable, to relief and joy that God was who he always thought he was, good, kind, loving. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As we say, Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By my swell, by myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. What does this story have to do with Christmas? What does this story have to do with you and I today? Well, I only want to make a single point that it is only in Jesus that we truly experience God's blessing. I've spoken about how many claim to be the descendants of Abraham, claim to be the true heirs of the promise. Is it the Jews because of their physical descent from Isaac? Is it the, 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 the Muslims who say, no, no, Ishmael was born first. And so he's got the true rights of the firstborn. And it's, and it's through the, the last prophet, Muhammad, that we, we, we gain this blessing by submitting ourselves and, and obeying. Yet in this story, we see it crystal clear that God said to Abraham that it is in your offspring that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Not through many offspring, but through the single offspring. This child of promise, this resurrection child, as it were. As the writer to the Hebrews says that Abraham, by faith, offered up his son Isaac and received him back as back from the dead, figuratively speaking. It was the story points forward to another who would come. Another who was not the provision of man, but the provision of God who is the ultimate fulfillment of the God who provides. Another who would lay his life down as a lamb to the slaughter. Another who is taken by injustice and oppression whose life is snuffed out in its prime. Another who was the only beloved of the Father. The child of promise. And I love this morning when Yvonne 
read from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9, and he was speaking, the virgin shall be with child. This is over 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And Isaiah is looking forward and saying, listen, God will give you a sign. There shall be a virgin who shall have a child. Then he goes on to say, to us, a, a child is given, a son is born. But this shall be no ordinary child. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And upon his shoulders, the government shall rest of all the earth. There was another who was to come. And so when Matthew begins his gospel by saying, these are the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David, this is a foreshadow of what Jesus and John the Baptist themselves would say, that the days are fulfilled. The promises of God are fulfilled. What, what Scripture has called out for for over 2,000 years, what, what people have longed for and seen forward it is time. The promise is here. Jesus, the Savior, Christ, the Anointed One, true Son of David, true Son of Abraham, the one through whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, finally has arrived. And so, in our days, you hear people saying, hey, come here. You, you will find blessing. Give this seed. Sow this seed. What is, is your marriage not going well? Are your finances not going well? Do you, do you have problems in your life? Come and get the blessing of God. And this is how you get it. Do this. Give that. But yet, here in Scripture, we see that it is only through Jesus, the son of Abraham, that we experience the blessing of God. And so as we, as we approach Christmas, as we ponder the coming of Jesus, we can truly celebrate that God's blessing has come because Jesus is the source and substance of the blessing of God. And this is what Paul says. In Galatians 3, he's, he's speaking to a group of churches that he planted and some people have come in and said, hey, it's, it's not quite enough just to believe in Jesus. There, there's also all these other things that God said to Abraham and then he said to Moses that you need to follow. So firstly, you need to be circumcised and then you need to follow the law of Moses so that you can experience the blessings of God. And then Paul asks them, hey, haven't you guys didn't I explain about Jesus' crucifixion to you? Wasn't it clearly displayed? Tell me, how did you receive the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, the, the culmination of God's promise to Abraham that I will be your God and you will be my people expressed through his manifest presence among them? So how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Wasn't it just by hearing about this message of Jesus and believing it? Tell me, you guys have got people working miracles amongst you. How are they working miracles? Isn't it just by hearing the story about this Jesus and believing? And then he goes on to say, now the promises, everything that we see spoken to Abraham in Genesis, were made to Abraham and to his offspring. There's the verse that we looked at, 22 verse 18. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. And so if you are looking for the blessing of God, if you're looking for the fulfillment of the promises of God, if you're looking for the resolution of the unanswered questions of your life, you need to look no further than Christ. And anyone who tells you anything or adds anything to that, Scripture says, is a liar and the enemy who comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. With Christ, you have everything 
Jesus plus nothing is equal to everything. Jesus plus anything is equal to nothing. Jesus is the source and substance of God's blessing. And so we, we can confidently say it's, it's, it's not through genetic, hereditary lineage in being Jewish, great as it is, that makes you come into the promises of God. Neither is it claiming to be of Ishmael and, and saying, I, I submit to the laws of Allah. Not every road leads to Rome. Not, not every philosophy is, is, is created equal. We're not all going to the same place except through different roads. It's not that there are different ways and different highways just depending upon where you're from and what is your temperament and how you like things. No, it's only through Jesus. He is the source and the substance of God's blessing. It's only Jesus who brings the presence of God. But what does it mean for followers of Christ today? Well, Paul, in further explaining to the Galatians, this is what he says. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, is according to the promise. Isaac only had the generation of Jacob and the Jewish nation as his is. The one greater than Isaac is able to make all the nations of the world the offspring of Abraham. Isaac could bring blessing to the nation of Israel, but Jesus brings blessing to the nations of the world. Not only does he bring blessing to the nations of the world, Paul says that through him, not only are we sons of Abraham, we are now sons of God. And friends, when, when we look at the sacrifice of a God who would give his only son whom he loves, who would sacrifice his perfect son for Rebels. You see, the, the story of God saving us is, is not of a good God looking for good people to make them better. It's not of a God who is looking for average to better than average and then I make you excellent. It's the story of a God who comes to a people who have completely rejected him, who have turned their backs on him, a people who hate him, who are fighting him in rebellion against him and everything that he stands for. And God's saying, no, rather than destroying you and giving what you justly deserve. Instead, I will send my only son who I love, with whom I have perfect union and perfect relationship, who obeys me perfectly. I, I'm, I'm going to allow him to degrade himself, to take the form of a servant, to come in the form of humankind. I'm going to allow him to experience the worst that humanity has to offer. If you want to see the relationship between God and human, you see what humans did to God when he came in the form of a man. 
Jesus was completely perfect, completely humble, completely loving. He did kind things. He showed people mercy. And people responded by taking him, torturing him, falsely accusing him, and then killing him in the most cruel way that Rome could devise that was only reserved for slaves and non-Roman citizens. That's how humanity responded when God gave us his best. Last week, we had, we had Andy Martin and, and Calvin from Cairo. And Andy was saying, hey, thank you for sending us your best in Calvin. The reality is that God sent us his best and we utterly and totally rejected him. This was not a story of romance. This was not a story of smooth sailing. God kind of just having a little bit of a sacrifice to make things all right for us. This was a story of the rejection of God. Where Abraham lifted that knife and God stopped him, humanity lifted the knife on Jesus and no one stopped them. They, we did our worst to him. But this was part of God's plan. That's why he came. Because there was no other way. It's like when, when you've got a bad heart, a bad physical heart. You need somebody to die with a good heart. That you can have a heart transplant. For your bad heart, you need the death of another with a good heart. And when God said, I will give you a new heart, he knew in and of himself that he would sacrifice his heart for ours. And so when, when we sing, you're a good, good father, we're not being sentimental. We're not trying to comfort ourselves in the midst of trying situations and inflation and whatever else that you might be facing. We're singing of the reality of a God who sacrificed his one and only beloved son. And this is what the story of Christmas is all about. Friends, that's why in one tribe we, we, we don't degrade this message and say, hey, you need to add this or, or, or do that or give this. Whether you give to the gift day or not, I want you to know that Jesus is the source of God's blessing in your life. Whether you've lived the most promiscuous life or not, whether last night you were drinking yourself silly and you just dragged yourself and are sitting in the back, no offense to the people sitting at the back, I want you to know that Jesus is the source and substance of God's blessing in your life. The thing is, if, if you come looking for anything else, the danger is you might miss Jesus. And friends, you don't want to miss Jesus. And so this morning, as I close, I want to invite us to contemplate what it means that the son of Abraham, the true and greater son of Abraham, has come in the form of Jesus. What it means for how we celebrate Christmas. What it means that God has fulfilled his promises to humanity, and to your life in the person of Jesus. That God sent his best. That indeed God's intent has always been to bless the nations. If you want to know what the book of Matthew is about, you can look at the final verses where he says, Go 
into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's how the nations of the earth are blessed, through a proclamation of this message of Jesus and people submitting themselves to his loving rule and kingship. Perhaps you're here and you've never, you've heard that God loves you, but you've never really felt that in your life. Maybe you've experienced some difficulty. Maybe you've experienced some pain that has caused you to doubt whether God loves you. Or maybe you've made some, some big mistakes. You blew it and you thought there's, there's no way back on something like that. How, how, could, how could God love somebody like me knowing that I had an abortion? How, how, how could God love somebody like me knowing that I've, I've stolen this or said these words or, or done this other thing in my life? Well, you need look no further than this true and greater son of Abraham, the one who brings God's blessing to you and not your own good deeds. And so if that's you, I just want you to open your heart. And I know that's a figurative way of, of speaking, but just raise your hands to the Lord and begin to ask him to show you his love in Jesus. Why don't you begin to speak to him for yourself and, and just say, I've, I've seen this incredible sacrifice that you made, the incredible distance that you bridged, that I might be in a relationship with you. And I want to respond to you this morning. Why don't you speak words of response? And the response that God is looking for is a response like Abraham. The Bible says that he was a man of faith. It says that when, when God gave him these great promises, he didn't consider himself, he didn't consider his wife. He just said, God, you are true to your word and I believe you. And God is looking for a response of faith from us this morning that says, God, we believe you. We believe in your love. We believe in your sacrifice. We believe in the price that you have paid. And as a church, we've spoken about this theme that we are blessed to, uh, to be a blessing. And friends, I'm not talking about how many zeros are in your bank accounts. I'm not talking about what you have in your cupboards. But we're talking about the son of Abraham, the true blessing of God who has come to us and given us his love. He's made the difference. He's changed our lives. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us eternal life, promise of new heavens and new earth. We've been adopted into the family of God. We once were excluded and rejected. Now we can call dad Abba. There is nothing more. God has given us his best. God has given us everything in Christ. And he's saying, no, I, I just don't want you to keep it to yourself. You are blessed to be a blessing. Do you hear that you share? You are the offspring of Abraham. It's through you that the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's not just a message that changes our lives. It's a message that can change the lives of others around us. And God is inviting us this Christmas to reflect on this message and say, "How, Lord, I want to participate. I, I, I want in on what you're doing. Lord, I want, to, I want to be a channel. I want to bring celebration wherever you send me. And so if, if, if you want to participate in that, I'm just going to invite you. Why don't you just raise your hands? 
and begin to speak to him and say, Lord, I really see that you want to bless us and you want to bless the nations. Would you make me a channel? Lord, make me a conduit of blessing. And I just want to say, Taylor, I feel that the Lord would encourage you. That you might feel like, hey, I'm, I'm the wrong skin, I'm the wrong type. I'm, I just feel like I'm not as effective. I feel like I'm not bringing as much as I'd like to. But the Lord would say, no, no, I've put you here to be a conduit. I've put you here to be a channel of blessing. You don't get to choose what the nature of the blessing is going to be. But what you get to do is to be present. What you get to do is to respond to my love. What you get to do is to fix your eyes on my son. What you get to do is to receive because you can only give what you have received. And in this place, I am going to make you a blessing. Yeah, Father, I pray for the people who are responding even now and saying, yeah, I want to participate, but I don't know what I have to give. I, I, I feel inadequate. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not the right sort. Lord, would they just be encouraged even now in your son that it is through your love. It is you being part of Christ that we become a blessing to the nations. It's not through seeds, but it is through the seed. It is not through descendants, but it is through the one descendant. And we get to be a part of him. We get to do what he is doing. We get to be used by him. And Lord, would we be such a people who bring blessing to the nations. Amen. <clears throat>